I'm bouncing around because there's something I want to pick up from the last episode. You said last time there are no wild lions in Montpellier that I'm aware of. That's a direct quote of Daniel P. Brown in the episode where we talked about paranoia. And uh huh. In the meantime, I went to the zoo in Montpellier, and guess what? You found a wild mountain lion or something? <laughs> uh, actually, I didn't see the lions. They were all sleeping. But theoretically, I came face to face with a lion in Podcast. Anyway, welcome to Private Practice Podcast. The date is the 17th of January 2019. This podcast will be coming to you as soon as you possibly can get it through the medium of the internet. I'm glad you said it was the 17th of... What, did you say January or February? Oh, I think I said January. It's the 17th of February. Uh, okay. How was Valentine's Day for you? I basically didn't recognise that it was happening. Well, I was in the world's most romantic city, where I now live. Well, where's that, James? Paris. Mm. Gay Paris. I've left behind the paradise of Montpellier, and now I live in a crazy, busy, expensive city that's likely to ruin my mental health again. I why was... are you rocking? Why are you rocking? Like, Sorry. literally, you're actually... Don't apologise, but I'm just wondering why you're rocking. Sometimes it's <laughs> a sign of anxiety, other times it's a, you know, like a kind of a... It's a comforting thing that people do. Uh, probably both. What are you anxious about, James? I'm anxious about... Well, I, don't, I don't, don't really feel anxious. Well, OK, good. Well, that's, that's a good start. <laughs> because I'm, my life is too perfect for anxiety. Well, I, OK, so the anxiety attached to what I was saying is that I've moved from a tranquil and truly wonderful place with a superb quality of life. Frankly, the most ideal place I've ever lived in my life, where I was blissfully happy, and I've moved back to a busy city where there's constant anxiety in daily life. Um, was Montpellier like Miss, Monsieur Hulot's holiday? Is that... Do you know that film? It, it's kind of like a, a cross between, I guess, like Inspector Clouseau and, I don't know, like an Audrey Hepburn film. It's like black and white and cute and there's baguettes and bikes and the seaside and villagers and funny mishaps and romantic moments and like a classic French um, scenes and it's beautiful and funny. That is exactly what my life was like in Montpellier. Now that you've got all of that out of your system, let's uh, welcome the listener to this week's episode where we'll be focusing on your choice of topic from the random topic selector. Well, it's hyster- hysteria and a perfect laugh and a bounce up and down from James to really highlight the, I guess, almost like a, um, uh, um, uh, what that theme is. Screaming giggles, bouncing up and down on the spot. Uh, hysteria, James. Um, I'm going to spend the whole episode calling it hysteria um, because I can't remember hysteria. And I won't be thinking about how to pronounce it. So Daniel pronounces it correctly. Hysteria. Hysteria. I don't know how I pronounce it anymore, and I don't know what the correct version is anymore, but you'll probably hear them both from me throughout this podcast. And I'm not going to apologise, 
or change for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> James is shameless. So I guess there's, you know, there's perhaps a gender issue there, of course, as well. Maybe it should be, if we look at some of the history of it, more hysteria rather than hysteria. Just going to... Thanks, James. Will you put in a full round of applause there for Hold me? on, that was, a, that was a bit too fast. Let me slow clap. So, No, yes. slow, cl- slow clapping is slower than that. Slow clapping is more like... It's so painful, James. Like, your clap I would have still accepted as a clap. The last few weeks have been dramatically different in my life and involved lots of things relevant to this podcast to do with mental health that would actually be interesting to people and I'm ready to talk about all of them. But as you said, we've pressed the button on the random content generator and so we're going to dive into something (laughs) ancient, irrelevant. (laughs) James, for the benefit of the listener, um, for for half an hour before... Before this podcast, we talked about the future of the podcast, where it could go. I'd come up with all kinds of brilliant ideas, and James was like, nope, nope, we are going to be moving ahead exactly as I chose to. We are going ahead with this. Do not try and change anything, because it would take you, Daniel P. Brown, six years to make any changes in your life, because you're so fucking intent on process. And now well, he true. now he realizes the topic that we're about to invigorate your brains with <laughs> is literally irrelevant. <laughs> but well, interesting, is, but interesting still the same, I'm sure. It's a genuinely extinct subject. So we're not gonna go through every episode of hysteria in history although i would love to because most of it happened in france and i could show off oh, brilliant no well, i'll tell you what give us a little intro james and it's a five second countdown to james's hysteria intro four three two one james it's an old term over two thousand years old to quote julia barossa the author of hysteria from the series of ideas in psychoanalysis hysteria is best understood as an individual's act of protest and rebellion directed against social conditions in the beginnings of modern psychoanalysis around a hundred years ago it was used by mostly men to describe varied extreme behaviors of mostly women who didn't conform to expectations now that last bit that i just said i'm going to re-say that in a less objective and more subjective way. So what I've just said you can take as academic source. What I'm about to say you can disagree with because it's an opinion. Um, So basically, it used to be men thinking women were batshit and that their uterus controlled them and moved around their body. And if ever they did anything that wasn't being a polite little ditzy person who did what the man told them, then it must mean that their wild uterus was somewhere kind of up in their neck or something. And this sounds like I'm being stupid, but there were genuinely, um, it was almost like witchcraft. It was the, the word hysteria comes from an ancient word for uterus, and it is um, entirely to describe things that were not understood about women's behaviour. And obviously that's not... Well, you have, that... a hyster- you have a hysterectomy, don't you? So that's where you have your... Um... Well, yeah, that's, but that's the language deriving from, yes, from the word uterus. 
That's the connection. The connection is the language. There's not a medical connection between a hysterectomy and the idea that a woman's uterus floats around her body when she goes crazy. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that a his- hysterectomy and hysteria like shows that link rather than the word uterus, which the uterus is not in hysteria. It's not hysteria. Oh. Hysterectomy, hysteria. Do you see, James? Do you see? Can you see that now? Uh, you can be as smug as you like, but you're actually wrong. Because damn, damn. The only reason I'm not being more, the only reason I'm not out smugging you is because I can't remember if it's Greek or Latin. So I would set myself up for failure if I tried to be smug and pedantic. So I'm just going to have to hold my hands up and say I can't remember. But let's just pretend, as an example, and this might be, you know, swap the word Greek for Latin if I've got it wrong. But the Greek word for uterus was let's say, hysterious, and that gave the word hysteria, that gave the word hysterectomy, and anything else like that. So they do come from... They bo- hysterectomy and hysteria both come from the word uterus. So it's all to do with the woman's uterus, and therefore it was something made up by men to describe behaviours of women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And quite often it was because women were not allowed to do things that they wanted to do in society and they reacted to it and they the what how they wanted to react was also not allowed so it got more and more extreme as a kind of mental illness but over the last 100 years the the reason the word hysteria has become completely extinct is because it was just a catch-all term to describe things that people didn't understand and so as people and we'll come back to this but as people have gradually understood more and more mental disorders and things the word hysteria has become completely irrelevant because the way women were reacting had nothing to do with their uterus wandering around their body had nothing to do with the fact that they were inherently a hysterical woman they would have they were behaving according to society and mental disorders that we now understand much better so there's no need for the word hysteria so therefore you don't need to completely discredit it it's just that it was you it was the word itself was used i think to describe things that people didn't understand sorry i'm bouncing around again so what you're saying is the word hysteria originally is basically a man's tool of control over women Um, a a male tool of control over women relating to their um, guessing they they guessed in in sort of um, less enlightened times to do with their reproductive organs um, and and created a a behaviour which appeared mad in whatever society it was being observed and slowly over the, the, the generations the behaviours that were reactions to men's oppression have become less hysterical, as it were, and more realistic and understandable. And those behaviours that were perhaps more closely related to what we know as modern mental illnesses are understood better, so wouldn't be classified as hysteria. Yes. So is that the end of the episode? (laughs) No, because I've got more notes. Excellent. heaven, Heaven forbid we should not get to the end of them. Can you imagine what would happen... So, well, I mean, it's interesting so far. What what drew you to the topic of hysteria, James? It was one of the three books I packed in my case to bring with me. Excellent. Although, I mean, you know, the podcast itself, what, what relation does hysteria maybe have to 
our podcast? How would it fit in with the the day to day tick list of what we talk about on our podcast? Well, I'm going to say what I've got at the end of my notes because I think you'll be pained that you don't know this is coming up, and. If it's if it only just comes up at the end, you'll be pained that it's only just come up at the end. So okay, gonna, let's let's skip to that then. Yeah, I'm going to talk about hysteria as an idea that helped inform some of the more defining ideas in psychoanalysis, such as the unconscious, transference, and countertransference, and the origins of sexuality in childhood, which links to the Oedipus complex and borderline personality disorder, which I want you to explain to me. And then for a more fun bit, you'll probably enjoy more than me. Drag queens. Very popular today, a programme you may have heard of, RuPaul's Drag Race. I've watched all of one episode, maybe two, so I know nothing about it. I'm not going to be talking about RuPaul's Drag Race, but if you're a fan, like probably 100% of our audience, you can talk about RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay, cool. Well, well, on you go then. <laughs> but I, I thought that would get you really excited because that is a current thing, popular with everyone, Relevant to hysteria, fun and funny. Wait, wait, how is is it relevant? You sort of just skip through a bunch of stuff at the end of your notes. I don't understand how you got there. You you just, like, spilled olives all over the place. Okay, a 100 years ago, the patriarchy told women they had to behave in a certain way. The women didn't like it, and they reacted in an extreme way because a more natural reaction was also classified as that's not how a woman conducts herself. Fast forward to today... Uh, society tells you you have to be a certain way. Drag queens say no. They put on makeup and they perform and they do sort of like bitchy comedy. And there's a whole established career to be a drag queen as an established packageable form of entertainment that has been Netflixed so that the whole world knows what a drag queen is and watches a reality TV show called RuPaul's Drag Race. And that has parallels with the hysterical women 100 years ago. The drag queens are the hysterical women protesting against societal norms today. Is that good enough for you? That's quite nice. Yeah, no, I like that. Drag queens have reclaimed hysteria for themselves as an entertainment, as as a... a managed um, moneymaker. Yeah, packageable in a capitalist society. A- and social protest at the same time. Yes. Excellent. Okay, so I guess what you're talking about is how much society has changed in terms of what we classify as being extreme forms of behaviour um, and how... Uh, social norms have developed to a point where people are allowed to be what was once considered hysterical yes in fact it's encouraged in some in some parts (laughs) but not these parts heaven forbid if i start bouncing around (laughs) actually the reason i'm bouncing around is because i'm on a sofa and i don't normally sit on a squishy surface and that's making me bounce around there's no anxiety or anything like that it's simply the child in me that is on a bouncy surface and i want to bounce (laughs) see okay so what we're saying about this episode you know how is this relating to our listener how how does hysteria relate to our listener other than that they now may or may not watch drag race which in many ways we wouldn't consider hysterical although some people do think that it is hysterically funny i don't i mean some of them are very witty witty performers but um what are we talking about today? What, what, is it that you, what is it that you want to talk about today? 
How does it relate? Well, this is the problem I had when I read through the book. I thought there's nothing in this that anyone can relate to. It's completely irrelevant in our series. And this is not what the podcast is all about. But since then, I read the book again, because I thought the first time I was just being like an obnoxious brat. It's not fair. This book is not what I wanted it to be. And I'm going to have a stop and I'm going to throw my toys out the pram. So I read so I read the book again and I quite enjoyed it the second time round and it allows you to explain to me some things that I don't understand and maybe the listeners don't un- listener <laughs> doesn't understand uh, to do with the Oedipus complex and borderline personality disorder. I mean, I'm I am not a psychoanalyst, so I'm I'm, I'm not 100% sure how it went from So let, let me make some sort of assumptions and guesses from the limited knowledge I do have of the history and the development of archaic mental disorders and behaviors classified as hysteria 2, the modern day. Okay. So round about the the end of the 19th century psychoanalysis was sort of starting to develop around you know they were starting to get a kind of a method to it weren't they um freud and Jung and these kind of people so they would still be seeing extreme behavior and not having labels for it right yes yeah so there might be a few words like morbid or morose or moribund for depression say i mean or there would be ideas and theories that you know it was something from demonic possession to um to being a village idiot if if you weren't able to in, engage in like normal conversation or you had extreme emotional reactions to grief loss you know um to to death or to to like fear um so there'd be kind of ideas that might be somewhere somewhat religious in cause of these behaviors and the behaviors might be anything from uh, drinking too much, even pregnancy outside of marriage, or enjoying sex. This is for women, obviously. Um, uh, eating too much, uh, uh, saying things that seemed completely out of the ordinary that we might now consider either comedic or uh, creative or p- potentially just bizarre. But there were, there were no words for it. And so psychoanalysis was developing theories and ideas and words. And one of the words, which is ancient, as you told us, hysteria was adopted then by psychoanalysis in the early 20th century? Uh, Possibly before that, but around 100 years ago. Yeah, so late 19th century, early 20th. Um, And and hysteria then took on a new meaning, and it was Freud, I think, that was using it most. Is that right? Yes. And I believe that he had patients uh, that... uh, uh, often female patients who would come to him for analysis because basically their families would push them towards Freud to say, no doctor can understand this girl's behaviour. And so this girl's behaviour, you must treat her, Freud. She is she is a lost cause, you know. And Freud would go, hmm, come and sit. And he'd talk to them and he'd listen to them and he'd spend hours and hours of time thinking about the words they said and the meaning of the behaviours they used. So there would be something like a woman would claim that her arm did not exist or a woman would say that all of the babies she's had have turned into doves or a woman would be completely obsessed with a horse and could only every day be found walking to the horse. And Freud would try and find a meaning to the behaviour that would explain an emotional symptom underneath. But these extreme behaviours, as it were, at the time the woman who was obsessed with a horse or someone that couldn't look her mother in the eye or a woman that would only wear red or only leave the house on a Wednesday. But there's, also cons- things like, there's also things like fainting, dramatic fits, paralysis, suffocation or impression, loss of speech, amnesia. So um, 
everything you've said plus some physical things that you could see yeah and i think it was those those ones that you just mentioned that actually probably way more appropriate and more extreme because they cause such concern i think in france there was a, a sort of like a not a seance exactly although that is the french word <laughs> There was a thing and there was a guy who had a woman on two chairs. Her neck was on uh, one chair, her ankles were on another chair and she was as stiff as a board between them. That was how physically extreme her hysteria was. There's a photo of that. I don't know to what extent that was done for show or to what extent that was genuinely a woman so stiff with extreme reactions that she could be positioned on two chairs like a plank and she wouldn't fall to the ground. That's where, um, that's where hysterical symptoms uh, or hysterical causes, as they were calling it at the time, hysterical reactions are causing a, a, a genuine physical symptom. So muscle rigidity or, um, or the inability to move, they, you know, they are recognised medical symptoms, of course, but... Uh, the idea was that an emotional reaction that the woman couldn't handle, couldn't process, couldn't describe, couldn't explain, was seen through a physical hysterical reaction, right? Yeah. Okay, and one of these was a woman stiff as a board. (laughs) Good. But yeah, like fainting is a classic one, but also like later on we found out that women were really forced to wear clothes that were so tight and they were basically cutting off women's circulation, like corsets and gussets and whatnot. So like that, that's a load of shit anyway, isn't it? But, you know, people do faint when they don't get enough oxygen. There's various different reasons and causes that we can understand later on. But anyway, the development of the theory of hysteria getting up to the modern day which is what you want to do which is talking about um borderline personality disorder so freud like looked at this he explored it he tried to help people understand in his very old stuffy um white male kind of a way you know that actually there are emotional causes to physical reaction in both men and women but it was still predominantly women and this of course developed with other um psychoanalysts like melanie klein um uh, and what's her name freud's daughter anna freud etc etc up to the modern day and slowly the more we understand these physical reactions and behavioral responses to emotional problems the more we have an understanding of the disorder the emotional or the cognitive disorder that lies underneath so in the modern day we don't have the same term we don't go my lord you know this woman keeps uh, fainting or is crying all day she is hysterical you know but put her in the nunnery we, we we generally don't do that in britain anyway i'm sure there are some countries where they do still do that but we have a better understanding of it and some of the things that you mentioned were borderline personality disorder and what Sorry, here in Britain, I don't know if you've forgotten, but I'm actually in France. So what was the question? Borderline? Oh, and well, no, only really borderline personality disorder, because the other things are things that are either separate things that are currently that currently use the word hysterical, but don't derive from what we've just been talking about, or they're things that are related. In fact, there's only one thing, the Oedipus complex. Where do sorry? Where do you find the link between the? Do you know what the Oedipus complex is? Uh, yes, I have dived into that. Um, uh, the other, the, the borderline personality disorder. I do not know what that means, and I'm going to ask you. Okay, so for the benefit of the listener, because this isn't just a conversation for James. James has somehow <laughs> has somehow discovered a link between hysteria, which I think I relatively simply described the process of from James's ancient. 
um, description of hysteria to at least Freud and post-Freud and up into the modern day. And, and I can't really say much more about the development of specific recognised mental disorders in terms of their categorization. All I know is that lots of research was done in the 60s and 70s into symptoms, thinking patterns, emotions, um, and better and more useful techniques for helping people with uh, um, severe emotional reactions um, became available. So, But Freud developed these theories of the Oedipus and the Electra complex, which to oversimplify but at the same time I think to probably give the right amount of credence to in a podcast like this is that when we're very very young children uh, in terms of the attachment which means the the strong relationship we have with our main caregivers of course our parents can develop and and often develops a certain unconscious or very much in the back of our mind or something that we don't really recognize also because of our age a strange relationship with our mother, if we're a boy, or our father, if we're a girl. Um, and this relationship leads to strange childlike beliefs that our father is trying to either harm our mother or, or, or is trying to get rid of us, which leads to a stronger attachment to our mother and the want to get rid of the father. Um, and uh, vice versa in girls. At the time these theories were developed, and they're kind of disproven, but at the same time there is some respect and wait for them to, is the idea that the very classic way is, because Oedipus, of course, was banished from the city, was made blind, if I remember right, came back to the city years later and usurped his father, murdered him and married his mother and fucked her. So, <laughs> so there is, you know, a real oversimplification that you kill your father and fuck your mother. That's what you want to do, but that's not what it is. It's about that attachment the Oedipus and the Electra. And I'm, I'm totally oversimplifying it, but at the same time, I don't think it's a real thing. It's just the idea that as a child, we can develop incredibly complex attachments to the two main caregivers that, that, that fill us with fear and dread and anxiety and stress and also love and passion and excitement, um, which could very much be the blueprint for our later sexual development. Anyway... That's that. So that is aside from borderline personality disorder, apart from the fact that, firstly, borderline personality disorder is a term that was first coined, I'm, I'm sort of sort of um, remembering bits and pieces, in the 30s or 40s, which was when uh, psychiatrists or, or the beginning of psychiatry started to notice that there was a certain disorder where the person suffering it walked the tightrope the borderline between a neurotic disorder and a psychotic disorder, between neurosis and psychosis. So a borderline personality. The person believed things that were very strange but could be true. So, for example, uh, someone with borderline personality disorder might believe that everyone hated them, a strong, strong, firm belief that everyone hated them, a paranoid idea that they were hated, and it was unshakable. Now, to the, to the idea that nothing was ever going to go right for them, people were going to get at them, but also they might have ideas that they weren't good enough and they weren't able to do it. There was, there was a very muddles mixture of strongly held beliefs and also an incredibly strong um emotional reaction to things so but isn't that just a more extreme version of what everyone is like? i'm going to turn this around and i'm going to say i'm going to be daniel p brown and i'm just going to say to someone who has all of these extreme reactions but isn't that what everyone's like aren't you just a slightly more extreme version of every human being and James, that is actually correct, yes. Yeah. So, uh, but borderline personality disorder, 
was later on developed when it was sort of given a kind of a uh, when more research had happened, when more people were recognised, and it was given the title of emotionally unstable personality disorder. So we all have emotional instability. We all have highs. We have lows. We have a kind of a a, a, a depressed, cold like. Um, oh, sorry, depressed sort of, sorry, um, I can't think of the word to describe it. A, d- a depressed emotion and we can have an excited emotion, right? But someone with an emotionally unstable personality disorder, due to their attachments, it is thought, when they're an early, in early childhood, either a very overbearing, strong attachment where they were overprotected and never allowed to um, or taught to manage difficult emotions, or where they had no attachment figures or very, very very loose, light attachment, weren't able to soothe themselves when they did have uh, strong emotions or they were denied that those emotions existed or were told to not be silly or were told that, you know, a boy or a girl shouldn't react like that. So there's like this early childhood development of not being able to deal with strong emotions, which as that develops and progresses through life, you never learn how to deal with strong emotions. So the emotions for someone with an emotionally unstable personality disorder, borderline, they are overwhelming because they have no emotional regulation techniques. Whereas you can go, oh, right, well, I'm having a bad week. That's a bit shit. What do I do when I have a bad week? I do A, B, C. I go for a walk. I go to the boulangerie. I breathe in the Parisian air. You know, No, that's the worst thing. I go to Montpellier and I live in paradise and I have a truly divine life. That's what I would have to do. Just have to. It's, it's only three hours away on the TGV. So if I did want to sort out my life's problems, that's what I would have to do. Okay. And in the moment, say you were feeling really distressed, genuinely later on this afternoon. What would you do? Because you're not just going to get on trains to Montpellier. You're feeling very distressed. Um, I'm going to stop uh, exposing myself to things that stimulate bad reactions so let's say if I'm out and about and all I see are shops selling me things I can't afford I'm going to get away from the shops because I don't want to just constantly look at something I can't have and feel like I can't fit into the society that is literally built around me with bricks and glass and say what about if you felt lonely right now it's hard to say I've literally just arrived in a new city this week and I'm not just going to create a social life overnight, but I could... Or perhaps not at all. (laughs) I could come home and communicate with you as someone who knows me. Yeah, you'd connect with someone. Um, um, Someone with... Someone with extreme views about how the rest of the world sees them, an emotional instability that they aren't able to um, regulate... Um, and almost always with borderline personality, emotionally unstable personality disorder, the behaviours that they adopted for themselves, that they learnt for themselves to cope with strong emotions are unhealthy or damaging or uh, sometimes life-threatening. So the most famous one with emotionally unstable borderline is is self-harming. People with severe self-harm... Well, it, it, sorry, it would be an indicator that someone had an emotionally unstable personality disorder um do remind me to talk about trauma in a in a minute because i think that's really important because we're talking about this but actually the modern theories are way way closer to trauma-based understanding of why someone would be unable to emotionally regulate but okay so the unhealthy coping strategies so self-harm uh drug abuse um uh, um 
excessive alcohol consumption, promiscuous sex, um, reckless, dangerous behaviour that can damage and harm themselves and other people, um, arrests, shoplifting, compulsive, as it were, or impulsive lying, um, unstable, unhealthy relationships, abusive relationships, all of these kind of signs and symptoms of this is actually someone trying to manage the emotional instability. So that's, in a nutshell, borderline personality disorder. So what we'd see in the clinic would be someone who would turn up who would be very untrusting most of the time of us or way overly trusting, would think we were the dog's bollocks simply because we gave them half an hour to sit down and talk or they wouldn't want to say a word to us. There would be a denial of the problem or there would be an overspill. They couldn't stop talking about the problems. We would see self-harm scars. We would see suicide attempts. We would see regular visits to A&E. We would see um, uh, often an inability to maintain a job or uh, we'd see a very low mood. We'd see anxiety. We'd see panic. We would see it in the room. You know, we could, it, it would be displayed there for us or there would be a complete detachment from it. Um, and so, yeah, you could almost imagine these extreme reactions. Oh, my friends didn't call me today. So I've literally cut a hole in my arm. I have not just cut it, you know, because people can self-harm to a milder level, which helps manage and regulate emotions. But often with the borderline emotionally unstable person that we see in a clinic, we would see someone who's, who's severely damaged themselves. Does that help at all, James? Yes, thank you. Do you not think that modern theories of how trauma in childhood or early stages of development any time between very young ages and right into late teenage adolescence uh, don't you think that that is probably the most important thing that we could talk about on this podcast and not something that should be lost 43 minutes into an episode about an, an outdated whimsical thing about stiff women on planks and a guy who once slayed his father so that he could have sex with his mother and I probably sound like I'm being don't you think down there Daniel P Brown that you should take it don't you think that actually when I'm asking this is a question from up on my lofty position that the only answer is yes that's probably how it came across but I've got wait do I think that you took what is it 44 minutes to get me to answer the question that perhaps you had from the beginning yet you gave a long introduction about the uterus floating around the body no not that at all I think we should talk about trauma I know, so if one, if this episode did one thing, which I sort of feel like we can keep it shorter now because I don't feel like we should just keep on going and talking on this this, this world-breaking hysteria episode. World-breaking. Does that mean anything? Anyway, okay, so yes, so trauma is definitely something we should talk about. So this episode was like a stepping stone towards future episodes where trauma, which is a huge topic, completely fucking fascinating, um, and probably relates to everyone, whether to a greater or lesser degree, and everyone would be able to connect with, whereas hysteria... The, the greatest connection I have to hysteria is in, in 2000, no, 1999, I went to a rave in Leicester and there's a series of drum and bass raves called Hysteria. And one of the most frightening nights of my life when I... Um, do I tell that on the radio? Yeah, one of the most frightening nights of my life ever was in a rave in Leicester called Hysteria with three very, very kind of like aggressive drum and bass MCs who, who like to keep things very dark and edgy. Hmm. I will never forget that night. It was frightening. Good. Okay. All right. So listen, to wrap up this episode, we've had a look at hysteria, the, the, um, the um, buzzword of the, uh, the early... Um, so it would be 2,000 years old, so that would be the year one, zero. 
buzzword of the year zero. They're all hysterical, the Jews, or they're all hysterical, the other people, or, you know, uh, we've done it all the way up to the modern day, missing out about... 1800 years of history which we have no idea what happened with the word hysterical i'm guessing anytime anyone or any group of people reacted in a way that the the powerful elite didn't like they were hysterical jesus was probably hysterical etc etc plodding on all the way up to freud and developing his theories of uh, psychoanalysis oedipus complex electrocomplex and how we all get our adult personalities from the the um the blueprint we have from our love for our mother and hate for our father or vice versa moving on through the research and the development and understanding of progress and the rights for women and men in the world as well as drag queens homosexuals we get to a stage where there is some kind of equality and pushing forward and actually we start to understand mental disorders in the mid-20th century moving on from the 1950s to the modern day where we start to look at terms like borderline personality disorder and read to categorize some of the emotional and cognitive responses that people have and are actually quite common and and are around and also about how when they become extreme they could be labeled and treated in either psychiatric hospitals or clinics which has brought us to the topic of trauma, which in our next episode we will be looking at, and James won't even have to read a book and give us a four-minute summary of that. That is where we are. We are at trauma. And to wrap up this episode of Private Practice Podcast, I just want to say thank you very much from myself on a sunny day in London, and I also wanted to give James the opportunity to say goodbye. So goodbye, listener. See you soon. Bye, 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 guys. It's a wonderful story.